Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and on this very special Thanksgiving edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, we have a friendly and familiar voice. This is Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner. I'm so happy and so thankful to be with Dean Linky this week on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, especially on a Thanksgiving week where we can reach out to all of our clubs, all of our coaches, all the directors, everyone that works so tirelessly to raise the level of soccer in this country, that we can together just take a moment to relax and be thankful for each other. So thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. You heard it. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone in the ECNL family. And I think you'll enjoy my conversation with the ECNL Boys Commissioner, Jason Cutney, after this word from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. This is a very special Thanksgiving edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. And we're pleased to go one-on-one with Jason Cutney, the ECNL boys commissioner who joins me now. Jason, thanks for being a part of this Thanksgiving edition of Breaking the Line. Great to be with you. It's awesome being here with you, Dean, especially on a Thanksgiving week. Yeah, indeed. So much to be thankful for, including the ECNL. I'm actually very thankful that you guys have brought me into your family. I got another great look this past weekend out in Phoenix as part of another one of your events and a national selection game. Interviewed you at halftime. Tons of goals. I think there were six goals in the game and another great week. So let's first talk about that, recapping another fantastic week for the ECNL as we're off and rolling again. It was a two-week stretch for us as as an organization that was very busy because the girls had the events last weekend, uh, the weekend prior in Virginia with the RL and in Phoenix with the girls ECNL and then obviously having the boys to follow that up one week later in both locations. It just meant long weeks for our staff. You know, our staff stayed in Virginia and, and stayed in Phoenix. And as we talked about at halftime of the NSG game, the staff really starts that work like eight months earlier. When you get to the one or two weeks leading up to any event, it's always those final moments of, okay, what's the weather going to be like? Has there been any changes? Is, is there any issues that we just could not forecast ahead of time? And our staff does such a good job of pivoting and doing what they need to do to make sure that the attendees at those events don't see those things, that we are seamless or as seamless as possible. You know, we feel it behind the scenes. We know it. We're up, you know, our staff is up super late at night, super early in the morning, every one of those days to make sure it's, it's working the way it should. But I can say that going through those events now and seeing the staff and having a, a breakdown meeting this morning with everyone, you know, everyone just super relieved that 
they worked. You know, they worked well. Everyone saw that they worked well. The college coach attendance was good. The fields were great. You know, all those types of things that you always want to make sure of are, are clicking for the outside forces that come into our events were all in place. And so I, I just give a lot of kudos to our event leads and they've done a great job over this last few weeks, specifically of what people have seen. But again, that that starts months earlier. One of the things that I love about you, Jason Cutney, is you really have done it all. And kind of at a young age, you played in pro, you've coached, you've had a big leadership role, I think even uh, ownership role in the game as well. And now you're you know, leading the boys side of the ECNL, which I think it was really important for them to find the right person because I know we don't like to always say this, but, you know, the ECNL girls had a head start, right? I mean, I think that's that's fair to say. Clearly, the ECNL girls are the best in the world, maybe, you know, I mean, in, in many ways. And you saw that. You even have daughters of your own, so you understand it. But, you know, moving forward, the ECNL boys are quickly, quickly making great progress. So knowing all of that, it's kind of open-ended, but, you know, as you – took on this and we're going to break down everything that you did do, you know, beforehand, but I wanted to dive right in and say, how are you feeling about how things are going as the leader of the ECNL boys? The one thing, and I think probably a lot of athletes can certainly understand this. There's just always more work to be done. We know that in terms of preparation, you know, whether you're getting ready for preseason as a young high school player, a college player, I think you overdo it sometimes, right? You are, you're you're so scared that you're not fit enough that you're going to spend more time running or in the gym or wherever you need to on the field. I look at things in a very similar way still. And I think that's, for me, what drives me every single day. I feel very good about where we are right now as, as an ECNL organization. Yes, I mean, the girls' side, certainly I had start because it started as a girls' league. And it really set the framework for not just how a girls soccer league should run, but a soccer league should run. And then what we've kind of transitioned that to is the way a league should run, you know, not just a soccer league. It's what are we doing every single day to make sure that the people that are in this league are super proud of it and that the people that are not in this league want to be in it. That's the powerful tool there. So I'm happy. I'm not satisfied yet because I just feel like there's still more work to be done we can do a lot more from a league in terms of how we're providing access and resources to more clubs in this country. You know, it's a humongous country. We have to find ways to get into markets that otherwise have been quote unquote underserved just because the opportunities haven't been there. We're spending a lot of our time in that right now. And so I am very happy. When I joined the league, I think we had, we were just going from that 57 club to 71 clubs, I believe in that first transition when I joined at the end of 2019. And now to see where we are and to see the number of regional leagues that we have as well. To me, that's a testament to the clubs that have come into this league that brought a very high level, their commitment to the league that has influenced others to want to be part of it as well. And then the staff that we have within the walls of the ECNL offices, those walls are now stretched all across the country and everyone's been putting in so much work and time and dedication that it's hard not to feel empowered by what they're doing. So I'm not satisfied yet by any means, but I do think that the growth has been significant and it's something that we can look at and be proud of. Well, and one of the things that I'm proud of is as you guys have welcomed me into your family as a, a longtime ambassador for U.S. soccer and a longtime broadcaster, I have noticed right away that it is indeed about the clubs and just as important, I think it's about the players that are on the clubs 
it could be considered coach speak or lip service, whatever. But as it relates to what I've seen and felt, I don't think it is, Jason. And what I'm saying is you truly care about the pathway on both levels, the girls and the boys, for these athletes to find the right next step. And if that's college soccer and it doesn't have to be D1, you're going to find that way. If on the boys' side it's pro soccer, you're going to find that way as well. I feel like in a nutshell, that's what the ECNL truly is about, finding the right pathways for the clubs and the players that are part of the clubs. Do I have that right? Because I certainly feel like it's right. The good news is if you feel that way, then then we're doing something right on our end. Because, yes, I mean, everyone that works for the ECNL is a soccer person. That starts from the top with Christian Lavers and Doug Bracken. They're people that have gone through the world of youth soccer. They understand youth soccer. They've run clubs. They've developed young players. They've brought them to the college level. They've been involved with the college level and the professional level on the men's and the women's side. You understand the game from a different respect, from a different perspective when you've been in it and you've rolled up your sleeves for years. And I think it just helps you understand things from the player perspective. Ultimately, I was a soccer player. I still like to consider myself a soccer player. I'm just too old now to to do it at a high level anymore. But as a soccer player, you look at things first as to does this make sense for that soccer player? Whenever we build any program in the ECNL, I can absolutely say with certainty that I look at it and say, would I have loved this as a kid? Would I have wanted to be part of something? that If I was here, would I have enjoyed this? Would I have gone home to tell my friends about this? And so when you take it through that lens, I think you look at things from that perspective universally. And that's the one thing we can say that we do as a league is we look at things as soccer players because that's what we were and that's what we identified as for so many years that now as administrators or league operators, we're trying to put the player first. Here with Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner. As I mentioned, we are going to get to know his entire path. We're going to do that in the next segment. But, you know, one of the things that I feel like makes you very successful in what you do is I feel like you are an eternal optimist. I feel like you're very optimistic. And I always feel that when I'm around you, even through your text, I feel that Jason Cutney. And I think when you're working in something as important as this, where you want to make sure everybody's safe and everybody's doing the right things to move forward, that's a good quality to have. Is it okay if I call you an eternal optimist? Yeah, I'd, I'd rather hear that than something else, I think. I mean, <laughs> you know, the the optimism in some ways, I think it's just looking at things as an opportunity rather than a detriment. And so I've worked in small business my entire adult life. And so when you work in small business, you know, in the smallest of businesses as well, in certain cases, you're just constantly putting out fires. You have five fingers, but six holes in the bottom of the boat, you know, and you're trying to just figure out how to keep things afloat. When you do that for long enough, I think you start to see you, you there's a tipping point where you go from like, wow, this is not going to work to here's how we're going to make sure this works. So when I approach things from an ECNL perspective, I have years of experience behind me from a club scene and from an indoor facility scene and from these other jobs that I've, that I've had over the years. But I always look at things from how are we going to make this work? There's no option to fail. How are we going to make this work for everybody? We can't stop this momentum. We can make it smoother. We can make it a more enjoyable ride for everybody. We can build the momentum. We're not stopping this thing. And I think that's that relentless pursuit of excellence that everyone within the organization has. And that again, that starts from Christian. He preaches that to us all the time, but it, it's very true. It resonates with the people that work there because we are relentless about being the best. 
This is the Breaking the Line, the Easton Out podcast, a special Thanksgiving edition. We're here with the Easton Out Boys Commissioner, Jason Cutney. We mentioned a lot of things that he's done. We're going to take a break and find out the full story on Jason Cutney. Again, it's Breaking the Line, the Easton Out podcast, special Thanksgiving edition. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, our special Thanksgiving edition where we're spending time with Jason Robert Cutney, who was born in Freehold, New Jersey, the home of Bruce Springsteen, by the way. And as I mentioned, he is the ECNL Boys Commissioner. And Jason, I kind of plugged all the things you did, but take your time. Tell your entire story. Obviously, I just mentioned that you're born in the same city as Bruce Springsteen. That's pretty cool to be born in the same city as the boss. But Tell us your whole story, like big family, small family, when you got into soccer, where you went to college, and walk us through how you got here. And it's a podcast, so take your time because your story truly is fascinating. I grew up in central New Jersey, one brother, three years older than me, and, and I think he was really a big motivating factor in, in everything that I did because I wanted to be like him. So played on his soccer team quite a bit as a young kid. And, and that, you know, I certainly took my lumps as a result because I was the the young kid that thought he was more skillful than everyone else. So those kids tend to get fouled quite a bit. And that was the case, but he was really for me, uh, why I drove my self insane trying to be the best player I could possibly be. Right. I wanted to be better than my brother, which is, is, uh, <laughs> it's an impossible feat, but it's something that always motivates you every single day. And so Came up through the through the game back in the days when the game was very different. We did not have the the full breadth of league programming that we have nowadays. You had basically your club and then the Olympic Development Program, the ODP bro- program. And so I made my way up through that process from the New Jersey State team to the regional team to the, the Region 1 national pool. And then, you know, getting to that national pool level and, and trying to get to the national team was my life as a young kid, you know, in New Jersey. And I think... Nowadays, it's become much different because of the rise of MLS academies and the different outlets to get identified in this country, which in some ways has improved, in some ways it has not, of course, as we all know, but went through that and and got myself to a point where I went overseas with U.S. soccer a few times as a kid and met a lot of great lifelong friends, ended up going to Duquesne University in Pittsburgh which was not my expected plan. I, to be honest, I thought I was going to go to Seton Hall in New Jersey to play for Manny Shellshite, who is... The legendary coach that was, you know, by far my most influential coach as a young kid, and and many can say that about Manny because he he was the legend in New Jersey youth soccer, really in the U.S., but for me in New Jersey. And when I went to Duquesne, it was an interesting moment for me because it was the first time I moved away from home, really, and I started to see things through a different lens. But it was interesting because my high school team in Freehold, Freehold Borough is a small, small city school in New Jersey, not a very affluent area by any means. It's a 
low to middle income, blue collar type of city. And no one really expected Freehold to be a championship caliber team. But I was, I happened to be fortunate enough to be a part of a team that went to the state championships in New Jersey youth high school soccer for Freehold. Sadly, that's still the, the the last time they got to that level, which I'm not happy to hear about. But we made it to the state finals. We ended up uh, losing to Chatham High School. And when I went to Duquesne, it was interesting because Duquesne at that time was very similar to Freehold in the sense that it was a young program. No one really thought it was going to win and, and do very well. And I liked that. Like that was to me, that was the challenge of it. So when I got there, we were mostly freshmen and sophomores and we absolutely lost some games for being you know, young and reckless our first couple of years. But by my junior and senior year, we were top 25 in the country. And it was just really cool to be part of a program that went from, you know, unknown, relatively unknown. I thought it was called Duke Wesney when I first, uh, first got the packet of information from the coach. So I had no idea what it was called, but you know, Duquesne then became an actual soccer school. And so it was really cool to see and be part of that transformation of a program. I had a great experience at Duquesne, you know, couldn't have enjoyed it more. I met my wife there, you know, it was a lot of great time there. And then had the chance to go on and play professionally. Went to Charleston Battery first uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, which was a great landing spot. Not a day goes by that I don't think of, of living in Charleston again. It's just such a such a cool city, and and the Battery was a great program for me to start with. It was a very very well run, beautiful stadium, you know, great people. So I spent two years there. I unfortunately had kind of a things didn't work out from an MLS perspective. I'll put it that way. I have, I have my own you know sour grapes from it all, but things didn't pan out for me. And what I ended up doing was just kind of going back to Pittsburgh and licking my wounds a little bit from, you know, life is unfair and, you know, boo-hoo, poor me. I, it just didn't work out for me. And it just happened to be at that time that a business opportunity was presented to me to get involved with an indoor sports complex. So I didn't know too much about operating indoor sports facilities by any means. It was a tennis and racquetball facility, but got to talking with the owners and, put together a business plan that basically converted it to a multi-sport facility. And, you know, it was, it was going to be a, a soccer driven facility, but it would still have fitness centers, basketball courts, volleyball courts, racquetball still, you know, it would have, it would have a, a, a mix of different things. And so we went down that path and I decided at that time, probably because things didn't work out for me at the highest level as a player, that it was the time that I needed to really focus on what was next in my life. And, you know, at that point I was crushed because I didn't feel like the MLS piece was going to work for me. And had I maybe had a different experience, I, I may not have jumped at this opportunity the way I did at that time, but I jumped at the opportunity to run this company. And with the owners of that particular company, we then about two years later had the opportunity to purchase the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, which was really interesting and a unique time. And I think we all, we all, as as individuals, I was the soccer guy. They were not soccer guys, but they asked me, you know, is, is this a good investment? And I said, well, probably not, you know, probably not right now. But I think if we have the ability to build a youth program and use that youth program to kind of support the indoor facility as well at the same time, then then it could be it could be a net positive. And so we went down that path and I was, you know, I was young. I was only 23 years old at the time. And so next thing you know, I become the CEO of Pittsburgh Riverhounds. And, you know, here we go. We're, we're starting to build a youth program. The USL at that time was in a very different state than it is now. There was like, it, I remember flying to Florida to be part of these league meetings. And it was like eight of us around a picnic table, just talking about the schedule and what we we're going to do. But 
to the credit of, of everyone involved, I mean, those club directors, the Charlotte Eagles and the Rochester Rhinos and Charleston Battery and, you know, Harrisburg City Islanders, these amazing club directors that all came together and put their ideas with Alec Papadakis from the USL to see where it is now and know that it was born from those early conversations is, is really, really cool and, and reassuring for the game. But we built the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in a time where there, there was really a great, maybe a blank canvas for them in Pittsburgh in the sense that there was no other professional soccer vehicle for the, for the players. You know, the Pittsburgh spirit was around years before as an indoor club, but Riverhounds were founded in 1999 and, and the Heasley family did a great job of building that club up. They were just never, a, it never really got entrenched because of the lack of a stadium. And so as we built through those early days of the Riverhounds, it became more about how do we develop a youth program that is sustainable? That became the Riverhounds Academy. Uh, that academy was really growing out of that indoor complex at the time until it got to the point where it was, it was bigger than the indoor facility. And then we turned our attention to a stadium, you know, and it, it was really a, a whirlwind of, of five years of my life, but we ended up building Highmark Stadium, which, you know, for, it's, a, it's a bit of a crown jewel in downtown Pittsburgh now that overlooks the city. And it's, it's a stadium that we're really, really proud of. And being able to work on a project like that was, you know, it was the most difficult few years of my life for sure. And it took everything out of myself and everyone else that was working on that project. But when you get done with it and you look at how beautiful it is, it's, it was, it was fun. So anyway, I was able to run the club and, and finish that project. And then really I started looking probably in 2017, 2018, what was I going to do next? You know, is this, is this, am I going to stay involved in the game? Am I going to leave the game of soccer? I had a few, a few thoughts of leaving the game of soccer at that time, but Christian labors and Doug Bracken met with me when I was in Las Vegas a few years back. And it was interesting because it reminded me of Freehold and it reminded me of Duquesne in the sense that the ECNL on the boys' side just wasn't where anyone thought it could be. It was not underperforming. It was just young, right? And it didn't have necessarily the battle scars that the girls' side had because the girls had gone through some some battles for sure to, to, to take that top spot and earn that top spot in this country. So for me, I looked at it in the same way as this is a great challenge. This is a great opportunity to come in you know, similar to, to winning a state title for freehold or helping Duquesne get to a top 25 or building a soccer stadium in Pittsburgh, which no one in a million years ever thought was going to happen. You know, could we get the ECNL on the boys' side to be at the ECNL girls' level? To me, that's what I saw as the challenge. Incredible. And how long did it take them to convince you to take on this job as the commissioner of the ECNL boys? Was it several months? Did you know right away? How did that all take place? Probably two months total where we were in dialogue about it because, like I said, I was kind of at the point where I felt it had nothing to do with the Riverhounds. It was just, I felt like me personally, I needed something new. I needed a new challenge. I needed something that would, you know, help me stretch my own wings, if you will. I had started that process of looking to see what else was I going to do in life. That was tough for me because the Riverhounds meant everything to me. Whenever you're part of building something, you feel part of it and it's part of you. And so, you know, it was almost like, could I really walk away from this? I don't know how I would possibly do that. When I got to the point where I started looking more at what's next for me and then my family and things like that, we just had our first daughter at that time. And so I started thinking and looking through a different lens myself. And when I came to grips with the fact that I was going to actually look elsewhere, it made me feel free, you know, for the first time. So I looked elsewhere. And I think when having that conversation with Christian and Doug, 
had I not been in that same mindset at the time, it would have been probably a short conversation of no, thank you. You know, I appreciate the offer, but it got more to the point of let's look at this. Let's really talk about like, what do you guys see as being the future of the ECNL on the boys side? And, you know, Christian and Doug, the ECNL for them was what the Riverhounds were for me, although even more so because they started it from scratch. You know, they, they started this, this thing. And so I wanted to hear from them if they truly felt committed to the boys side and they did Christian and Doug are both brilliant minds in the game. And so when I, when I had that conversation with them, it was very obvious that they wanted the boys side to be everybody as much as what the girls side had accomplished. And I love that, you know, I, I loved hearing that. I love that they, they truly had that passion. They were committed to it. They were serious about it for them to feel that I was the right person was very meaningful to me. You know, it, it was like a, a jolt of electricity when someone thinks that you can do a, a great job and, and get something done. It empowers you the same, same way we as coaches treat our players. If we don't treat our players that way, then we're not going to get the, the same reaction from them, but they kind of treated me that way. And, and to me, it was the right time to go and look at an opportunity like that. And I certainly have tried my best to embrace that role ever since I took it on. So every day when you wake up as the ECNL boys commissioner, what's the greatest part of your job and what's the most challenging part of your job? I think the greatest part is that the ECNL, based on where it is today, you know, and, and it felt differently, certainly when I joined in 2019, but where it is today, I, I truly feel like the game in this country on the youth level moves as a result of the ECNL. You know, the ECNL has grown to a point where we affect the lives of hundreds of thousands of young players, right, directly and indirectly. But it's more so that it's people looking at the ECNL for that leadership in some ways. What is the ECNL doing? Where are they hosting their events? What type of programming are they creating? How are they raising standards? Other leagues, other clubs, and then from there, families and players and coaches look at the league and expect something from it. And that something is leadership. They expect it to lead the way and and showing people what to do. I like that because that's pressure. And so like every day when I come in and I, I feel like there's a pressure that you have to perform at the ECNL level. And I felt that as a player when I was young, you know, when I was, whether it was youth or with the U.S. national pool stuff, when I was trying to make the national team, when I was trying to get you know, college, I was trying to start as a freshman pro and you're just trying to cut your teeth and make sure that you're the best, you know, you're in the starting 11 every week. There's always pressure. You're always, someone's always looking to replace you. And when you live that life, I think as a, as an athlete, it's not that you ever get used to it, but you either thrive in it or you don't. What I've been loving about the job is that I can take that same mindset from being a player and just bring it to what I'm doing today. Right. I believe that we will work harder than any other league in the country when it comes to running youth soccer or youth sports, you know, and, and if I don't feel that way, then I struggle with it. I want to make sure that we're getting stuff done every single day, no matter what it is for the clubs. Now, probably the biggest challenge of that is that it's a big country. I look at little markets like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is a little market, and it was really hard to help Pittsburgh navigate and traverse the course of getting into the ECNL years ago. There's so many other markets that are just like that in the country still, you know, how do we find ways to, welcome in really good, high operating, highly efficient clubs into the ECNL if they are geographically strained and they're not near anyone else. Can we find a way to still get those kids in? To me, that's the biggest challenge because once you look at this country and you create a network that stretches across the entirety of the, the continent, you know, in some ways, 
you can then find ways to help U.S. soccer with identification of players. And I, I do feel like in this country, we, we do not do a good enough job of helping U.S. soccer. We complain a lot about U.S. soccer not scouting and not finding the right players and this and that. There are challenges to youth soccer, you know, finances, travel, all those types of things. But if you create one network across the entire country and then you use that network to help identify players within it and you bubble them up to U.S. soccer, we can do a better job. That means you have to stretch it across all of the country. You can't leave out these pockets here and there because you just feel like, well, they're geographically stretching too far. That doesn't make sense for the little kid there that might be good enough to change the way we play, right? So that to me is the is the hardest thing. When I look every single day, I have a map. I still have maps that I hand drew my first year of this job of every market in this country. And I hand drew it because I'm a big believer in, in writing and drawing. When you do that, you remember it differently, right? So, you know, I can still show you because they're right here, but these are, you know, the, the listeners don't hear this, but these are my national maps of all the different areas of the country and who's there, basically. Who's there that we have in the ECNL? Who's there that we don't have in the ECNL? And I try to add to that all the time and say, okay, we need to figure out a way to get into this market. How do you connect this market to this other market? Because at the end of the day, it will come back to the, one of the players in those markets that deserves an opportunity to be on the national team. And if we don't find a way, then shame on us. Related to those challenges, Jason Cutney, you know this, there is a euphoria, and I've heard it from club leaders when they get their teams in the ECNL, whether it's boys or girls. And then there's also the agony when they're not quite ready, they're not quite there, and you and the leadership team have to make those tough decisions Kind of talk about that part of it because you see the euphoria from the clubs when they know they get in and then you also feel the agony when they're not quite ready. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, like I, I Christian, I still make fun of Christian all the time for a lot of things, but <laughs> we in Pittsburgh were denied three years in a row from the ECNL. And so I say we were denied, big picture, we weren't ready. What I've realized is that they also weren't ready as a league, meaning that they needed to get other things in place for Pittsburgh to make sense within the ECNL. This is a big country, right? And when you look at some of these locations, I'll give you an example of Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee has excellent clubs in Memphis. Memphis is far from the Southeast Conference, right? It's, it's about a five-hour drive or so from Atlanta. Then if you go west, you have to go all the way into Texas and Oklahoma City area, which is, again, significant travel distances. So whenever you're going to ask families and clubs to travel that far for games, it becomes difficult, right? It's hotels, it's cost, it's mileage, it's time off from work, it's time off from school and studying and all those types of things. So you have to look at all these different markets around the country because there's way more than just Memphis. And you have to try to figure out what is it about those clubs? Are they ready? Are we ready as a league to bring them in? And if we're not ready as a league to bring them in, then shame on us because we will set them down a path of destruction. I can't tell you the number of times I hear from clubs, you know, don't worry, we'll play every single one of our games on the road. I remember saying those same exact things to Christian many years ago with Pittsburgh. And I couldn't understand why they wouldn't just give us the chance. But when you look at it now from a league perspective, you understand why that is unsustainable, why that will lead to destruction for the club. You know, these, these are hard games. So if your families are going on the road all the time, they're traveling four to five to six hours, and then they're losing heavily, 
how many years will you do that in a row, right? Where it's, where it doesn't, you don't get to a point where you're saying this doesn't make sense. So we have to make sure the club is, is ready, that their performance on the field is at that level where you can say they will add value to this league. They will come in and be competitors within this league, whether that's ECNL, ECNL, region league, pre-ECNL, whatever. You then have to look at the distance that everyone's going to travel to get to these games. You have to figure out how sustainable that is. And that means it's a give and take from both sides. It's not just on the club not being ready. A lot of times it's on us as a league not being ready. And so, you know, that's I think that's important to mention. Now, the trials and the tribulations of that application process are very real. I felt frustration, anger, everything else. I went through all, all those uh, all those emotions until one day I got a phone call that said we were in, you know, I'll never forget that phone call. Cause then I called all the other coaches within river hounds and we, you know, we had champagne that day. So I have more conversations now that are based on reality than ever before. And the reality for us is how do we create a pathway for your club right now to get into ECNL if we can't get you into ECNL right now, you know, and I didn't have that conversation years ago because the ECNL regional league didn't exist. So the regional league in many ways is our effort to try to create a pathway for a club that maybe they're not ready. Maybe we're not ready, but it'll help create a platform that gets them and gets us to that point. Hopefully at the same time, Jason Cutney, the ECNL boys commissioner. We're going to take one more break and do some rapid fire as well with Jason Cutney. Thanksgiving edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. We'll be back after this message from some of the corporate partners of the ECNL. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the National championship winning ECNL girls and ECNL boys coaches of the year and the ECNL girls and ECNL boys goals of the year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. So pleased to be joined on this Thanksgiving edition by Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner. You know, earlier I called you an eternal optimist. Jason, one of the things I, I like about you is you see the good in people and not just how they treat people, but the good in people in the jobs they do. I mean, you made me feel like Bob Costas in short order in the soccer world. And I appreciate that. And then I look on the other side and I see Ralph Richards, who I also consider an eternal optimist, right? On the girls side. And I know you also see the good in him and, and all of the staff. And I think that's probably what makes ECNL click. Not totally sure where I'm going with this, but I mean, Jason, you seem to like take the time to want to be around people that are good at what they do and want to make other people good at what they do. Is that fair? I like the sound of it, Dean. I hope so. I mean, I you know, I, I don't know if I was always that way, to be honest, but 
you know, sometimes when you go through, you know, I, I went through and, and I, we, in the last segment talked a little bit about business. You know, I, I went through some tough business issues a few years back, you know, with, with just, and this is business, right? You learn, like you always hear that phrase when you're young, it's, it's just, it's not personal, it's business. And then you finally realize what that means. And sometimes you realize what that means oftentimes in tough situations where you have a fallout with the business partners and things like that. And you really see the toll that it takes on yourself, on others around you, on your family, on whatever, right? When you go through those processes, I think you have to kind of respond, you know, and, and you can either respond by going down into the doldrums or you can respond by saying, you know, all right, that, that was round one, you know, let's go out for round two now. And I think it was very similar with when things didn't work out with MLS for me, I thought it was unfair. You know, I thought boo-hoo, you know, the, the world is against me. And again, you gotta, you gotta just pick yourself back up and figure out what's next, you know? And, and now I say that because when I look at all the people that I'm around in the game and the people that work for ECNL alongside me, you have to find that they have probably gone through similar things in their life. You know, whether it's the same that I went through or, or a, an iteration of that, everyone has that stuff personally and professionally. And so if you approach it that there's good in those people that they can come out for round two in the same way that you came out for round two, I think I'm on round like eight at this point, but if you can come out of round one or round two, even if you've taken some punches and you can still be standing there, then there's something about you. You know, and the same thing could be said for young players as well. And, you know, some of the players that make it versus don't make it. But I look at these things. One of the best business quotes that I ever had was given to me when I was younger by kind of one of my mentors. He said, the difference between follow up and follow through is I care about you. Like you can follow up with people all day long, which is just poking them. You know, have you done this? 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 Eventually, you got to help them do it. And the difference between those two things is whether you care about that person or you don't, because if you don't really care, you're just going to keep poking them and then you're going to fire them if they don't get it done. If you care, then you're going to actually figure out why they haven't gotten it done yet. How can you help them get it done? And then you're going to work with them to get it done. And I think very much about now with the ECNL, we have a very young staff, very hungry staff. Everyone wants to be the best, but they need help. You know, And then so if we don't help them, then we're not helping the ECNL organization grow. And I try to approach things that way. I don't know if I always did that. I, I, I'm certainly getting better at that, but that's generally my mindset when I go into work. And I feel like that's the mindset of two people you've already mentioned, Christian Labors and Doug Bracken. Quick sound bites. You know, when you think of Christian Labors, what comes to mind? What is it about Christian Labors that makes you better at what you do and makes you happy to be part of the ECNL? He has a, a level of calculated intelligence that I, I don't think I've experienced before. And I say that honestly, right? It, yes, he, he is my boss, but he's very, very smart, but he also always knows the right questions to ask. So he's very calculated in when he asks those questions and how he asks those questions. And he does not micromanage, but he knows if things are going the way that the ECNL feels that they should be going. And, and, I say that because Christian is always, you know, he's very, he's, look, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the biggest names in youth soccer in this country, in my opinion, especially he, he is a forefather of the game in so many different respects because of all the different league properties he's been involved with. Well, and, and even from his days of being involved with the Federation as well. And he cares so much about the ECNL and the growth of the ECNL and, and what we're doing for the players and the clubs that 
you never get lost in anything else, right? Everything always drives back to that point every single day. And, and that's rare. You know, when you're running a business, especially that's very rare. Every time we make these decisions, it never comes back to the bottom line in terms of financials and financial controls. Yes, we do a great job of harnessing those things in. David Alexander on our finance team is is an amazing accountant that's constantly making sure that we are staying within those parameters and those guardrails. But the decisions themselves are not made based upon the finances. They're made based upon the game and the ECNL. And so you know, I give Christian full credit for that because he's driving that home every single day when we meet. Same question, Doug Bracken. Doug, to me, it's it's a great relationship between those two. It's kind of a Batman and Robin relationship. Doug, he pragmatically approaches every situation for how this will impact the club and the club directors. And there's a huge value to that because at the end of the day, when we're operating this league, everything that we do is going to ultimately be absorbed or rejected by the club directors, the people truly in the trenches working with those clubs, with those players, with those families, with those administrators. He knows that role really well, and he approaches it from that perspective in such an intelligent way for us because, yes, I, I have club experience in running a club. So does Ralph, but not the rest of our staff. And so they get that from what we do and how we react to situations, but they also get it from the leadership from Doug. And so you know, Doug and Christian work, they bounce off of each other so perfectly. It's, it's, it really is a great balance between the two. And it's like that Batman and Robin where you just feel like the two of them combined, that's a tough one to take on. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I'd ever want to take Christian on one-on-one -on -one in terms of uh, being in court against him because he's a very shrewd attorney. He and Doug combined is, is a, a force that has done very well in the game of soccer over this last decade plus. Ralph Richards. God, Ralph is like the, you told, you called me the eternal optimist. To me, that's Ralph. I mean, I thought you were talking about Ralph for a while earlier. <laughs> Ralph is like the nicest human being that you'll ever meet. He cares so much about the players that he coaches that it's like, it's scary. You know, he, he's just, I met him years ago when I was on staff with the na national staff in Portland. I got to coach with him for a week and I, you know, I met him and within five minutes, I was like, I grew up with this guy. Like he's, he's my best friend and he just makes you feel that way. So everyone that he encounters, staff, directors, whoever, I think he gives that same impression. And there's something to be said for people like that. You know, you're more willing to share, you're more willing to work hard for people like that. But Ralph is, I would use the word genuine because he's one of the most genuine people that you'll meet. Blaine Fink. Blaine is, God, Blaine is Blaine. She is, uh, she knows how to get it done all the time. If you have a, an issue at an event, if you have a logistical concern, if you, you forgot to bring something, like Blaine can just make things happen. And she has that, that way of looking at things where she'll kind of lead you to believe that she's not going to get it done on purpose, just so that you, uh, you know, I think the competitive juices start flowing of like, does, does this person really think I can get this done? And then Blaine always comes through. So she's like a clutch performer. She's the person that you would inbound the ball to with, you know, 0. 0.4 on the clock because she just, she's just going to get it done and she's going to do it in a way that only Blaine can do it. Andrea Wheeler. Andrea is like my sister. We, uh, we, we fight and argue all the time about ideas. I like to bring ideas to her. She likes to tell me that they're stupid. Um, but then I always find a way of coming back like a day later because she finds some, some little tiny value in that idea. Uh, and I try to then remind her of that all the time, but she, from a creative standpoint, 
the one thing you can find with Andrea and, and I, I, everyone can see this over this last, if you just go back to our Instagram, especially over this last four years, how clean and direct our Instagram is, is it's intentional. It's deliberate. It's, you know, the brand is always put first. It's never sacrificed. And when you look at other, you know, Instagram walls for different companies, big and small, especially in the youth sports space, you can see a difference with what she does with the ECNL. It's just professional. It's clean. It's the same filter. It's the same approach. It's everything is, you know, has a theme to it. It moves in a certain direction. And when you then go backwards and see what it takes to get to that, it is mind boggling. The amount of work that she and her team put into all of those things and why it's so well done is hours and hours of work that I don't think anyone could really appreciate. I certainly do. I still try to fill up her hours with crazy, stupid ideas on my end, and I will never stop that. But in terms of someone who's deliberate about everything she does, that's Andrea. And a blanket statement on all the young, bright faces and the diverse faces as well, which is one of the things I love about the ECNL that support the people that we just talked about, particularly Blaine and, and Andrea. You know, I mean, they they have all of these wonderfully talented, beautiful young people that are doing a ton of work as well. The, the amazing thing about the staff, and uh, you know, say say what you want about this demographic, you know, the younger culture that's coming up nowadays. We have a staff where every single one of those people wants to be moving up the ladder. And maybe that's because they're athletes, former athletes, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to say, but everyone that's on our team wants to be at a higher position in the ECNL and whether they have to create that position based upon the expertise that they're bringing to the table, help reshape the company in a new direction, but they all like genuinely want more and they want to kind of drive the, the ECNL forward in a new way, which is really cool that, you know, you, we talk a lot about the difference between being useful and valuable. We don't have many staff members that just want to be useful. They want to be valuable. They want to bring value to the company. So when you're around people like that, it's just invigorating, you know, it, it's, it's cool because you're not going to bring an idea to a bunch of people and they're just going to say like, yeah, they're going to kick the crap out of that, that idea and, and bring it back and say, well, you know, what about this? Have you thought about this? What could you try this? And that is why the ECNL is moving in the direction it's moving right now. Not, you know, not, it's, it's not a Jason or Ralph as commissioners. It's all of the staff, every single person, we're not humongous, but every single person is contributing to these ideas and they're kicking these ideas and they're twisting them and they're saying, Hey, do this, do this try this. Let me show you how I can do this. That's, the ECNL right now, you know, and, and I know that probably years ago when it was just Christian and Doug, they were probably, you know, never thinking it would get to a point like this, but kudos to them because what it is now, it's, it's a force that's bigger than the two of them. Thanksgiving edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast with Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner. We'll end with some rapid fire questions. You are a very well-read young man. Your book you're reading right now, Jason Cutney. Uh, bounce. So I just started bounce. And that, when you say well-read, I, I say well-listened, Dean. I'm an audiobooks guy. Uh, if I read, I usually fall asleep within 35 minutes. I listen to audiobooks devoutly now. Bounce is the new book that I'm doing right now. And, you know, it's really interesting because it's basically about 
deliberate, purposeful training, you know, how you can become really excellent at something and, and breaking those myths that it's just a person that's born super talented. And, you know, it shows that you really have to put in the work and be dedicated to what you're doing and spend the time, the 10,000 hours, if you will, the 10 year rule, like you've got to be able to grind through that and be very purposeful in what you're training to be excellent at. If Jason Cutney was doing nothing that involves soccer at all, what would he be doing? Oof. I would be doing something that would involve 90s rap. I, I don't know how, Dean. I don't know how. But if there were 90s rap would be involved with it because that's, that's a big part of my culture and my life. Uh, fitness, probably. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a fitness junkie. And so something that would involve 90s rap my family and fitness would be like, that's, that's what I envision my retirement as right there. Who is the coolest person you've ever met soccer or non-soccer? Who's somebody you're like, man, I, I met him or her. This is eliminating you from that equation. Listen, Dean, you are, you are those, the most interesting man in the world commercials. I think you were, you may have featured in a few of those based on what it just, the, the listeners don't know this, but behind Dean is a wall of like, memories right now in his house there's world cup signed jerseys mind you that is the ugliest world cup jersey the u.s has ever worn in the history of soccer it has the you all know it as the stars just like splattered across the front of it with like a denim looking color that i still remember alexi lawless wearing but dean was part of that organization for years it's probably the most interesting times of u.s soccer minus the burhalter reina situation Dean, you're, you'd be up there because of the stories that you've you've shared with me over the last few years, which I will not repeat on air. That's a good question. The game of soccer this last few years, I've gotten to learn or well, meet so many directors of youth soccer clubs that it's been kind of crazy to just absorb their stories. You know, in some ways this sounds weird, but we're all, you know, we're all connected in the game in some way, shape or form. It's like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like we through the soccer of playing with or being around people. I went on Phoenix this last, you know, on site in Phoenix at our event this past few days. And I've probably spoken to, you know, a hundred different club directors of which we have a common thread between all of us in some way, shape or form. So I just kind of give it to the game. You know, the, the game of soccer to me, I've met so many interesting teammates and friends and club directors that the game of soccer to me is the most interesting personality I've ever met in, in my life, right? It's it's the game that keeps giving back to me in my life. It's introduced me to people like yourself, Dean, and others. And I'm internally thankful to the game of soccer for that. Jason Cutney's ride or die professional sports teams. Oh, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm a big soccer fan, as everyone knows, but I'm a diehard Yankees fan. I, I grew up outside of New York. I'm pinstripes through and through. Yankees would always be my number one above all else. Tough year to say that this year, but they are. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a New York sports fan. So I'm a Giants fan. I'm a Knicks fan. I'm a Rangers fan. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of it all, I'm, I'm a New York Yankees fan. If you had the opportunity to take two people to dinner and they could even be gone, but God can bring them back and, and sit with you for a couple hours over dinner, what two people come to mind? Well, one, I'm going to say my wife, because we never get a chance to just go to dinner, the two of us. That that would be a rarity. So I would absolutely reserve one of those seats for her. You know what? That's that's a good question. I, I'd, I'd have to say probably my grandfather. My my grandfather passed away. Jeez, it's been, it's been some time now. But he was one of the most just eloquent, 
individuals that I ever met. He, he was always extremely advanced. I felt like for a grandfather, you know, that's a weird thing to say, but like when your grandfather knows more about, he, he worked in the um, anti, like the early days of antivirus protection for computers. And I want to say early days of like the computer that would fill a full room, but he was on the front end of that. And so every time I talked to him, he was always talking to me about like technology, which is not the normal conversation to have with your grandfather, right? Like total opposite of what you would expect. But he was the one that was always really when I was super young, up through my high school and college years, talking to me about business. And I really felt like when I just got to the point in my own business career where, you know, we were working on Highmark Stadium and that project, and I had probably the most robust resume I had ever had in my life where I could sit down and talk about these business stories and like what's going on in my life is when he passed away. And it was really hard because you, know, you think about that, like if I could go back now and talk to him about everything since that stadium to now, I feel like we could fill, you know, a year worth of dinners in a row. So I would, I would certainly go with my grandfather. Finally, Jason Cutney, this is the Thanksgiving edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. And right here, right now, Jason Cutney is most thankful for. There's a lot, a lot. We don't have enough time for all of that. I would say I'm most thankful for just the the company that I surround myself with. I think as you get older, I think this, you know, older, wiser thing, now that I'm I'm feeling I'm at a point in my life where I understand the value of time for the first time, maybe, where I don't want to waste time on things that really will not positively influence myself or others. And that's really goes for the people that I'm around. I struggled with that for for years in my life where I don't feel like I put the most important people first and that I didn't necessarily have, you know, I don't know what the word is, but I didn't have the, the wherewithal to say no, you know, that to say, no, I'm not going to waste time doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to do this or that. And that took its toll on my family first, because when you're young and you're hungry and you're building businesses, it's very easy to say, you know, uh, we'll, we'll do that tomorrow or we'll get to that next weekend or I, I have to spend this extra two hours at work or whatever. My wife and my family to me have been now at the forefront since the arrival of my daughters that it's changed the way I approach everything in my life, you know? And, and so I'm most thankful for that company because every day now I, I get to work out of my house You know, I get to work with I'm, I'm here all the time. I'm here with my wife. I'm here with our dog. I'm here with my, my daughters when they're not in school. That changes my demeanor and how I, and how I approach challenges because I'm just happier person. And then the people that I work with and work for and work around are just such good people that, you know, that eternal optimist quote you're saying, you said earlier, I, I think it's a result of the environment that I'm around now. You know, and, and and that's a positive environment and it's certainly rubbing off on me. And I, I hope in some way, shape or form, I'm rubbing off on that environment. But, you know, Dean, you're you're certainly in that. I've said this from day one. We don't give you enough credit for what you've done since joining the ECNL. You bring a level of positivity and a level of excitement. Your voice and the voice, I mean, you know, the, the voice of the Big Ten Network and all the, you're the voice of the ECNL now. And when you look at the, the national selection games, I was sitting there the other night and I was watching, literally, I'm five feet from you and Daryl Russell. You know, and again, Daryl is one of those people that the game of soccer introduced me to. He's one of the best people that I've met in life. 
he's brilliant in the game. His experiences are ridiculous. He's sitting next to you calling an ECNL national selection game in 2019. When I joined in April, 2019, that was a bazillion miles away from, from ever happening. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that company because all this company that we've created this, this fabric and this network, it's so positive. It's so fun. And it's, it's good to be around, but I think everyone that's part of it, the ECL players, when they watch and they listen and they, they see what's going on, they're proud of it. And they're happy to be part of that company as well. And, and you, you deserve a lot of that credit as well. Well, I'm happy to be part of it. I'm very thankful to be a part of it and very thankful to have spent this Thanksgiving edition of breaking the line, the ECL podcast with Jason Cutney, the ECL boys commissioner, happy Thanksgiving, Jason Cutney. And I'll leave you with the last word to simply ask you to say happy Thanksgiving to the entire ECL family, everybody that's involved in it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do hope that everyone has a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope they get the time off from the game. You know, they, for all of us that in, are involved in the game in different levels and capacities, we know how it's ever present in our lives. And sometimes we're not ever present in the lives of those that we need to be ever present in because of the game. So I, I hope that the coaches, the admins, Everyone on staff in the ECNL, you know, from Christian and Doug down to myself and, and, and all the rest of us, I just take the time to be thankful for that time, you know, and then sometimes I think time is the most precious one. We, we don't we don't realize it until it's too late in many cases in our lives. Right. This is a week where we can all share, eat food, drink, talk to each other, sit around, relax, laugh, cry, whatever you want to do. But take that time to enjoy it because it's uh, it's well deserved. Well-deserved indeed. Thank you so much, Jason Cutney, for being on this special Thanksgiving edition. And thanks to all the great people at the ECNL, including all of you, our members. I want to thank Andrea Wheeler. I want to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. And again, I want to thank you, the people of the ECNL. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. In the meantime, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.